Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Yes. When are we going to release this Full on tryptophan, Chris. Full on tryptophan. Everybody's falling asleep. Hopefully exactly. we can change that. Thank you guys for being Patreons. We really appreciate it. I've been trying to give you guys some early interviews that I've got kind of in the back pocket for other things we do and give you those early. Yes. We gave you a, I gave them a long version of the interview that I did with Buddy Joe Hooker too. So they got an extra 40 minutes of Buddy Joe Hooker yeah. that nobody else got some, Got to hear some more from him. And of course you get these exclusives from Jake. Yes. Which is, uh, is, is pretty special. Which is, uh, which is uh, uh, Chris is stumbling. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> Here you go. No, I actually have gotten some positive feedback, believe it or not, Chris, on a few of these. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm trying to distill down the essence of what makes these great. And so you're going to get more. It's it's like the concentrate okay, of our personality, is, including. What does that mean? You know, concentrate is usually when things things are much smaller in concentrate form. Are you like a concentrated <laughs> human? <laughs> Again, you're only like two inches taller than me. So the uh, jokes really don't work uh, that much. I don't know. We'll actually have to. I think We're we both imagine. short people. That's true. But because you're shorter than me, I've been t- putting up with it my entire life. I've been putting up with it. You're just he's so happy to have someone you can tease about being shorter than yes, you. Yes, because it's always been, huh, your wife is taller than you. <laughs> your wife is way taller than you. Well, when she's wearing six inch heels, yes. But yeah. on the regular, she, we're about the same regardless i what my point is about this being the concentrated form is you're going to get more of what makes this show great including my notorious accents (laughs) so without further ado everybody just without further ado i shall start us off all right what do we got pierre donnet louis marshall was born in anseres france on august 22nd 1878 he was the son of Dr. Marie Alois Edmund, which is a guy, Marie, and Julie Ann Letts. He was a well-educated man, having received first a bachelor's of philosophy before pursuing a degree in law and a degree from the School of Moral and Political Sciences, Chris. Is a degree in philosophy that era's version of a degree in basket weaving? Well, I feel like it was probably more applicable than like a standard liberal arts degree like I have. A philosophy degree is like, you know what I want to do? I just want to think. I just want to sit around and think, think about, about thinking. <laughs> it's thinking about thinking, which is terrible. How do, we, how do we get, that's actually, that's what we get paid to do, almost. I get to. Get, we get to, no, we get paid to talk about stuff. That we thought about. That's sure. different. I suppose that's different. We're not yeah, just. We, we, we talk about things. I guess it's not a podcast if it's all in your head and you don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's out there. But how about the School of Moral and Political Sciences? Moral Sciences? Is that just. I suppose we'd call that ethics today. Yeah, I guess that would be ethics. Regardless, he would not actually go into law or any of the uh, moral and political sciences. Instead, his life to seem to have taken a bit of a turn. You see, sometime around the turn of the 20th century, a young Pierre was drafted to serve in the French military. It was during his service that Pierre drove his first car. Is this the history of the white flag? No. <laughs> Is that a French war joke? Yes, it's a good one, too. <sighs> there goes our French listenership down the drain. We again. Are actually, we're ranked in France. We do have- <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully Patreons aren't that high in France. Regardless, no, this is not about French uh, basically giving up on everywhere. No, you see, uh, it was also around the same time that he befriended 
a young guy by the name of Luis. Luis Renault. Spoiler alert, this Renault guy, Chris, he's going to be on to something. Yeah, this guy, it's kind of a This Renault name. guy, of course, is the long-standing French automaker, Renault. But back to the early 1900s, Luis Renault was just getting started. He was the fourth of six children big family. He was fascinated by engineering and mechanics from an early age and spent hours in this supplied steam car workshop or tinkering with an old panhard engine and tool shed of his family's second home in Blancourt. Where? Belliancourt. Okay, I thought that was going to be an accent there. You, you disappointed me. Belliancourt. Okay. Belliancourt. Much better. Where's my family has the second home? We have more than one home because so this we guy are rich. This we guy's are super the rich. Renos, I think, came from some wealth and some 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 good tutelage. Oh, uh, yes. I deleted the soundboard. I need like a tr- sand <laughs> No, so big family, Reno, he's doing well. So we know Reno. But back to our guy, Pierre Marshall and Louis Reno. They hit it off. They became good friends. They were both passionate, not only about mechanics and automobiles, but also with racing. So Renault actually gave Pierre a very early 1907 Renault 3545 CV, which Pierre then entered in the endurance race, Herkromer Konskurenz. Do we know what the CV stands for? Do we it's have- some French thing about car. <laughs> <laughs> no, so if you look up the Renault 35 slash 45 CV, you probably have seen it before. It's like a very early looking, like, think of the very first race car. Okay. It's kind of like the, uh, what were the ones with the canted out wheels, you know, the reverse camber, the uh, Bugatti, whatever. Like the boat tail type stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yep, so that's what this is. So Pierre was gifted this car from Renault, and he entered it in the Herkromer Kronsans which stretched across the whole of Germany and Austria. The big endurance race in 1907. Okay, so the CV is for Uh huh. which is uh, basically that has to do with steam horses or the tax power. Remember when we talked about tax power back Oh, yes, we talked about this on the Citroen Yeah, so so the Citroen 2 CV is... is It's the two tax, basically. Yeah, two de vapeur. Which, Which is, is the, the, the second two. tax category. So that's why it's called the that's CV. That's right. Yeah, it's okay. two tax horsepower. Right. Okay. So this is 3545. Got it. So much more powerful. And so we entered in this endurance race that went across the entirety of Germany and Austria. And Pierre ended up winning the race outright in this Renault. Recognizing the young man's apparent talent behind the wheel, Louis sponsored Pierre to enter the Automobile Club de France. Now, we actually talked about the Automobile Club de France, or ACF, in a previous episode. Again, that Citroen one. The ACF still exists today and is the oldest automobile club in the world. At the time of its inception, however, the club was comprised of audio enthusiasts who... Listen by, to music? By the, well, no. By the nature of the car <laughs> at the time, were very wealthy industrialists. Because after all, only the rich could afford a car in the early 1900s. So here you have in the ACF all these big like industrial magnets, you know, these rich guys who just Inventors, sit around whatever, and they're yeah. like, instead of going to like, like the country club. Instead of going to philosophy club, school, they... <laughs> no, I think this is instead of sitting around the country club where you'd like play polo, you'd go to the automobile club, right? Okay. So it was at the ACF 
that Pierre Marshall would find himself rubbing shoulders with the Count de la Procée and the banker Marcel Beaulieu-Lafont. So I get the feeling that young Pierre was quite the charmer himself because the Count of La Procée soon proposes that Pierre should join his company. And his company was developing lighting fixtures. So all of this stuff about this company had a French Wikipedia page and not an English one. Okay. So most of my info is via Google Translate from a French Wikipedia page. Okay. And they said that it was a lighthouse company. But from further reading, it was not lighthouses as we think of them. I think it was just like lighting fixtures. Okay, so light bulbs, like industrial, like vapor bulbs, that kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. So Pierre goes to Salon, which is a part of France, where he participates in the testing of acetylene spotlights. Now, I had to do Jesus, some digging. Jesus, what the hell is an acetylene yes, spotlight? Yeah, I had to do some digging on this. On Here, let me light this for you and also cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You are not far off. Okay, so have you ever used or seen an oxyacetylene torch? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so those. these are the ones where you need to do the goggles because the flame is so bright. Right. So, so you that, can cut through with some serious yes, steel with these. So that bright white flame is a product of acetylene gas burning. And before electric light bulbs were commonplace, acetylene spotlights were used. They were comprised of a housing, much like a regular headlight, with a reflector in it. You know, the concave uh, reflector. And then instead of an electric light bulb, these spotlights would utilize the bright acetylene flame in front of the reflector. Okay. However, things got even more complicated from there. Because, after all, where's this gas coming from? It didn't make sense, nor was it even, I don't think, technically viable at the time to have a big compressed cylinder of the gas. Right. So, instead, these spotlights would be paired with an acetylene generator. How do you generate acetylene? <laughs> these generators used water slowly dripped on carbide rock, which would cause a chemical reaction forming acetylene gas. So what kind of rocks are these? Is this just some rock? I guess it's, it's rock you dig up. That's where you get all the rocks, apparently. But yeah, I'm sure they dug up this rock, <laughs> as with every rock. That's right. So this was, as you can imagine, a very finicky mechanism, though. So first, you needed to make sure you had enough of this carbide catalyst rock. Then you also needed to make sure that the water tank was topped off. You'd also then need to turn on the valve that would slowly drip the water onto the carbide, starting the reaction, and then wait a few moments for enough gas to build up sufficient pressure in the generator. You would then turn on the valve from the generator to the lamp itself, and once you're sure the gas was flowing, open up the lamp housing and light the flame. So I'm imagining, you ever been at the kitchen sink and you're doing dishes or something, and you accidentally bump the hot water with your elbow? Okay. And then all of a sudden you get scalded with hot water? Is that ever? Okay. What if you're doing that with this water dripping on the rocks thing? All of a sudden you hit the valve and it opens up and the water pours on the thing. And then all of a sudden you're shooting acetylene flames <laughs> out, of, out of this lamp. I just imagine uh, there's some pretty disastrous yeah. things that could happen yeah, in this. But think about it. That whole process I just laid out, which you can imagine took some time. Only after you did all this could you finally get in your vehicle and set off, hoping the flame wouldn't blow out in the wind as you're going down the road in the middle of the night. So, so although, you're basically you're carting around a bunch of rocks, rocks, <laughs> water, and a very, very hot flame. So this might have worked out okay if you had a steam car because you've got a bunch of water anyway. Sure. Right? So I mean, you could have used it that way. Maybe. But I don't know. This seems dangerous. What if you imagine <laughs> running over a pedestrian and be like, "Sorry, I just sliced off your arm." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with your giant torch in front of you. So although these lights offered a significant advantage over oil lanterns, because that's basically what preceded it. 
were like the old oil lamps with the wick and you know you'd what light I them. You know how you have to wear goggles when you use a settling torch? Yeah. Could you, I should mount one of those on my car for people that won't get out of my way. Because they always, everybody's got auto dimming mirrors. They've got all this stuff, but maybe in a you settling. You want an acetylene lamp. I need an acetylene get out of the way tool. Yes. So they were, of course, much brighter than oil lanterns, but they're not easy to handle. And this gas has a very unpleasant odor, it turns out. Meanwhile, I've, never, I've used this oxygen settling. It doesn't smell too bad. I don't know if they refine it or something. Or it's a pure form. Well, maybe it's because it's dripping on rocks. That's part of the problem. <laughs> maybe it's yeah. impurities. Yeah. Uh, the water dosage that is dripping on that rock for generating is actually very precise and delicate, which makes getting an efficient reaction very, very tedious. So either you're wasting a ton of this rock or a ton of the water, or it simply won't generate the gas. Well, just think about it. When you look at it, like a piece of water dripping off of something very slowly, getting a small drop of water is not easy. Going over a bump or something, all of a sudden you're... <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden it's going to be <laughs> shaking all of this loose. Basically, you're so, flashing your high beams at people as you drive down the road because the water's like <laughs> pouring out of this thing. Yeah, the flame goes bigger and smaller. So this is what Pierre is set out to test, okay? And while testing these systems, it became evident to Pierre that acetylene lights did not have a future on the automobile. Instead, he saw that this newfangled electric lighting was the way to go. Now, now we're talking about a filament bulb at this point. Yes. Now, to you and I, I mean, that seems obvious, right? When you're thinking of the system, you go, well, of course, electric bulbs are going to be much better. But I have to imagine back then, the acetylene system was much brighter, and this dim little electric light bulb probably seemed silly at the time. You got to keep in mind that back in the day, these generators are developing. They're six volt, first of all. Right. And they're very low wattage. Yep. So these bulbs are not putting out a ton of lumens. Right. We're talking... Is there a candle power coming out of these <laughs> Probably <things? laughs> one or two candle power. Okay. So when you compare that, it's like, yeah, no, that's some newfangled silly thing. But the other part it's I didn't realize. Because these are vacuum tubes, basically. Yes. And not only that, these filaments of the early light bulbs were very, very fragile. And they had a super short they lifespan. Were, now they're tungsten. Okay. Like the filaments are tungsten. Yeah. I don't think they were tungsten no, back they were then. No, probably it was just, just mild steel or right, just it was. like a little strand of wire, basically. Yeah. So you would not only have br they're not bright enough, but also going over bumps in a car where it's notoriously, you know, not very fragile. It like you're gonna blow out these bulbs. Every, Absolutely. Well, think all about the time. they have uh, rough use bulbs for using in the garage. So if you have like a trouble light or something, you want to put a light bulb on it. You got a rough use one where you can bang it around. If you put just like the regular one that goes into your kitchen in there, it'll shatter. No, no, no the, it'll just burn out. The though. filament breaks because yeah. you're shaking the filament around too much, and then if it, you know, it's obviously it's red hot or white hot. I guess yes. it would be, and that, so it just disintegrates. So yes. I'm just imagining this is much worse. Yeah. So regardless of all these these reasons, Pierre seeks out an electrical manufacturer. He's an electrical engineer and a manufacturer of other electrical components and forms a partnership to start developing his new projector electric lighting system. However, his work was suddenly suddenly cut short on August 2nd, 1914, when World War One broke out. Pierre Marshall joined the French Army and served in the automobile services. There's a familiar name. I've said Marshall the whole time. Oh, I kept just hearing Pierre, 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 Pierre. Yeah, Pierre Marshall. Yeah, I just heard Marshall for some reason. Yeah. I didn't hear You're putting before. lighting together with Marshall. Yeah, so. no, no, I'm mm. starting to put it together. Mm. There we go. So Pierre Marshall joined the French Army and served in the automobile services. His duties would see him taking command of a regiment of ambulances that served American volunteer forces leaving for the front. So before 
the U.S. joined World War I, they did send over volunteer troops. And so Pierre was the guy in the ambulance taking care of these American troops in the front line. So he probably saw a lot of shit. Yeah, I'm sure he did. By the end of the war, Pierre was awarded the Legion of Honor and the Croix de Guerre, both of which are impressive French military medals. So he obviously did act with a lot of valor. After the war, Pierre went back to his objective. He was a light on the battlefield, you could say. Very illuminating for honor. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) That was delayed. Yes. Okay. After the war, Pierre went back to his objective of developing better automotive lighting. Now, by this point, some time had obviously passed, and electric lights had become basically all but standard on the automobile. So he kind of wasn't able to capture the forefront on this. But that didn't mean there wasn't a lot of room for improvement. So Pierre tasked the young engineer, Alfred Monnier, to make a diffused satin-finished lamp and filed a patent for the precise centering of the lighting filament. That, I guess, was what was kind of the breakthrough was, yes, you can have this filament in this housing, but by getting it precisely at the parallax point of where it reflects, that's how you get the most efficient lighting. And that's why the American headlights in later European cars suck, because you got to put these 9006 bulbs on it, I think, whereas the Europeans used an H4. Oh, so it's not centered in the housing. No, they're much weaker, even though you can run as much wattage at them as you want. But it's just they not just reflecting correctly. They just don't illuminate properly. Right. So these two men then perfected the filament lamp and developed a way to produce a selective yellow light via cadmium sulfide plating. These new projectors were extremely efficient at producing a diffused light. Which, side note, Chris, if you want to learn more about the iconic yellow lights that were mandated by French law... We've talked about that. Yes, be sure to check out episode 53, Prepare to be Enlightened. Yes, I remember that one. I do too. All right, so one night, as the story goes, Pierre drove home from his shop where they're developing these new lights with these lights in his car, and he comes home to his garage... And he catches this reflection of his pet cat's eyes staring back at him, reflecting this brilliant light from his new headlights, piercing through the darkness. And so, for his new company, he adopted the image of the black cat and paired it with the slogan, I only lend my eyes to a marshal. I like it. Yes. And, as it turns out, Chris, the French love black cats. Really? Did you know this? No, I didn't know that. They're is that why their luck is so shit? <laughs> <laughs> They're really, these these French, or the black cats are actually ingrained in French culture. I found many different references. Uh, the French, I, I didn't list them here, but there was something like, uh, there's some weird, like, old saying that like the French cat will bring you into the afterlife or the black cat does and some other e- that's thing. That's Egypt, Jake. <laughs> no, it's, it's also French. But here's the one that I found out. The French were the first to put a cat into space. Okay. When I found this out, I went on a huge tangent to the story. Okay, question. Why are we sending a cat? What's the reason to send a cat? Because the Russians sent a monkey. Well, physiologically. First, the Russians sent a dog. Okay. And that's a sad story because they were working on the cosmonauts 
and they literally had two like stray dogs running around the street behind their space program, and yeah. so they just like stole them or captured them and, and threw them in, them the, in the thing. Yeah. Oh, Fido. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's Funny. probably like, "Yay, someone's adopting me!" Oh no, I'm on a rocket. Well, I'm gonna guess in Soviet Russia there yes. was very many stray dogs. Yes, stray dogs. Sure very many stray, stray dogs. dogs become cosmonaut. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmodog. <laughs> Cosmodog. So yeah, so the the Russians first sent the dog into space, and then there was a whole bunch of lab mice that were sent into space, and then there was a bunch of chimpanzees sent into space, but the French were the first to put a cat into space. As I said, this were is, they just like, well, they've done mice, they've done dogs. I, 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 I guess we'll just send a they cat. They had a lot of cats. They loved their cats, and they wanted to find out basically effects of biology in space on creatures. Well, if we can't take a cat into space, there's no point to go there. I think right. That's <laughs> I think that's. I mean, look at the internet today. It's all cats in space, and yeah. not really. But regardless, no, I, that's pretty accurate. Uh, is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, right. I would say cats. Um, in space. This is not at all tangent to our story, but it's such a weird tangent that I went down this rabbit hole. Okay, it's interesting. So bear with me. Okay. On October 18th, 1963, at 8.09 a.m., a female feline weighing 5.5 pounds was launched into space. <laughs> the mission was a suborbital flight that lasted 13 minutes. The rocket engine burned for 42 seconds on ascent, and Felicet, as the cat was named, experienced 9.5 Gs of acceleration. <laughs> Jesus! Yes! <laughs> The nose cone. How many, how many things do you think that the cat knocked off the owner's counter when it got <laughs> home? <laughs> the nose cone separated from the rocket before reaching a height of 94 miles above the atmosphere, and the cat was subject to a five-minute period of weightlessness. Prior to parachute deployment on re-entry, spin and vibration of the nose cone caused seven Gs of acceleration. When the parachute deployed eight minutes and 55 seconds into the launch, it applied nine Gs of deceleration on the cat. 13 minutes after the rocket was ignited, a, a helicopter arrived at the payload. Felicet was recovered safely, and the mission made her the first cat to reach space, Chris. <laughs> All right, moving right along. No, nope, we're not done yet. Oh, no. So Felicet right. was monitored for heart rate, breathing, and neurological activity during the mission. She was recorded as being, quote, vigilant during the ascent phase, a.k.a. freaked the fuck out, <laughs> seeing as how she was strapped to a rocket. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Interestingly, her heart rate slowed and her breathing became completely normal during the weightlessness stage. Yeah, because the cat was passed out. <laughs> you might have a point. <laughs> So my favorite part of this whole story, and then we'll move on. Okay. My favorite part is after the mission was successfully completed, every member of the French space program received a photo of Felicet with the following note, quote, thank you for your participation in my success of October 18th, 1963. Below that, each photo was signed with her paw print. Yes! <laughs> that's Felicet right there! Oh, that's cute. How it adorable. was quite cute. All right, so... <laughs> Back to Pierre Marshall and his headlights. All right. With Pierre's experience in racing earlier in his life, it's no surprise that his new lights would find their way into competition. In 1926, the third running of the 24 Hours de Le Mans took place. Pierre's headlights were so effective that nearly every single car on the grid was equipped with Marshall lights. 
This was the first time that vehicles had happened to exceed an average of 100 miles per hour on the entire running of the 24-hour Le Mans, no doubt, thanks in part to better illumination during the night. And the bright lights with the black cat logo have been a staple in endurance racing. The, the logo goes over the covers, right? When you put the cover with the yes. big the little rubber strap Fun on Fun fact, though, in the actual lens... There is a little stamped black cat, too. Okay, I take it. I think Corellos are from England. A lot of people run Corellos as well. Okay. And I had some Kinbies, which Kinbees. were like a, were like pre-Corello, and then Corello okay. copied the design. And then, of course, there's CB as well. Yep, those are also... I don't know where those are made, though. I think they're also French. Sounds good. They did a lot of headlight stuff. They did, yeah. Uh, in 1954, a Marshall-equipped Ferrari 375 won the 24 Hours of Le Mans outright. That same year, Alancio won the Monte Carlo rally with its Marshall lights leading the way into the night. Phil Hill used the company's iodine projectors to win Le Mans in 1962. Marshall headlights have been adorned on the noses of Chaparral's, Alpine's, Ford GT40s, Renault's, BMW's, and all Porsche 917s used Marshall lights. And the black cat has remained the enduring mascot during that whole time. In 1964, Marshall merged with a company named Société d'Equipments pour Véhicules. That's a terrible name for a company. Well, that's why they shortened it to SEV. Okay. So still terrible. SEV made electrical distributors and windshield wipers along with spark plugs and other electrical components. To promote, to promote SEV Marshall's diversification, the company customized a Citroen H-Van into an incredible rolling billboard. It basically featured every single component the company made. Yeah, that works for me. So up front, up front was mounted every possible SEV Marshall light available to buy. So that guy today would own an F-150 with 100,000 <laughs> LED light bars on it. <laughs> it also had a dozen horns, Ooh. transparent display cabinets on the sides of the van so with you can all see the it. car parts. You can hear it. Yes. And a giant SEV Marshall sign. On the roof. You know what's kind of a pity is when I was at the side sidebar, is when I was at Daytona at the classic HSR at the 24, which we didn't talk about at all. But that was no, you're right. That was a really, really fun event. But here's the problem is I was out there taking pictures of all these old cars that were all, you know, uh 962s and 935s and yeah. old Jaguars. And the problem is is that a lot of these guys um were putting these LED light bars on the hoods of their vintage cars really and some of them were more like 90s early 2000s cars and they would have these truck looking yeah. led bars on the front i wouldn't even take a picture of their car <laughs> i was not it absolutely ruined the car i don't blame you daytona is so bright there's yeah, no why do you need you lighting? can drive around with one eye closed with the lights off yeah. It's, it's it's so bright there. I don't understand what people were doing. It was absolutely disgusting to see these cars. Should have had ruined. some Marshalls in there. Some you could you, correct. Hey, Marshalls. let's put some like vintage lights on there. I think people exactly. are doing because it it's maybe you can undo it very easily because it's like something you can plug to in. Your it's point, low though, power. It's you could plug it into dumb. This. Like why at Daytona when it's fully lit the entire track? I think a lot of these guys probably do other races. They probably go to Sebring. They probably go to VIR, and there's probably other vintage events around. Yeah, maybe there's not. Maybe Daytona 24 is one of the ones that they go to only. But just these huge truck looking, yeah, you that's know, redneck, red headlight uh, things. Believe me, I have one. Do you really? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I only mounted it for like a few months and then I chucked it in my shed. What? what, what why? 
What? Did it not work? No, it worked great. Why'd you get rid of it? Because it looked like a bro. <laughs> it is a very bro, a bro thing light. to do, and it doesn't belong on an old Italian German no, English no, car. Really. Anyway, because um, like you said, get some Marshalls, get some CVs, get some. Yeah, so I want you to look up this van though that I mentioned. So okay. SUV Marshall Citroen van. Wow, I'm not sure if this guy is going to sell headlights or tacos. <laughs> what do you think? You're right. It looks like a food van or a food truck with every single accessory you could ever buy on it. <laughs> so the van actually survives to this day and is on display at the Museum of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. This thing looks awesome. It's, Honestly, it's really the, cool. Actually, it's got like this huge grill that looks like it's maybe three and a half by five on the front. <laughs> it's got the black cat on there, and yep. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, at least fifteen to twenty headlights yes. on the front of the. You imagine thing. how bright that thing is. It, it's yeah, it's probably even brighter than a, an acetyl. You wouldn't even need an acetylene torch to cut through anything. Oh, no, certainly amount not. Of light that's coming off the front of this. So, unfortunately, that same year in 1964, Pierre Marshall, the founder of the company, passed away. By 1970, SEV Marshall was taken and acquired by the company Ferodo. Now, Ferodo also took control of rival light manufacturer CB, and in 1980, Ferodo rebranded as Valeo or Valeo, and the SEV Marshall name, along with the iconic black cat mascot, was never to be used by the company again. So this became Valeo. Yes. Oh, sad because Valeo sucks. Yeah. It's kind of cheaper components. Yeah, not great. Uh, there is like kind of a cool little sidebar that in 2009, supposedly, I've heard conflicting reports when I looked into this more, but I read that a Japanese company acquired the rights to the Marshall name and makes motorcycle lights with the iconic classic Marshall logo and black cat on it. But some people said that they're just tiny ripoffs that aren't legit right that's too bad well do you think they could make some money bringing that back because all these these headlights are worth money yeah like they're they're oh, all i looked the, into it after i did this story i was like i need some marshalls on my 911 and then you sent me a picture you're like wow these are a thousand bucks and i go and yep. well, that's just how much this stuff costs it's see you're, you haven't been around long enough to be phased by no, this stuff. i guess it's, not it just doesn't phase me anymore so would you do with the ones that mount to the hood would you put holes in your hood to mount it or would I, you do through i the wouldn't horn want grill? to i'd probably do the horn grill ones so with my trip that I'm going to do, I'm not sure if I should put extra lights on the car or not. You probably should. I probably should. I could lend you my LED light bar. So I thought, because I'm going to have a, <laughs> here's the thing. I thought I'm going to have a roof rack on my car. Okay. Can I tuck it under the roof rack out of sight? Like behind kind the of LED the LED bar? Hook? Yeah. Like tuck it. Yes, you could. It. Can hide it under there? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't see it. Sure. I do not want to see it. No. Because I think they are ugly you're still gonna see it from the front you're gonna see this rectangle of glass and you're gonna be like what is that yeah that's not gonna be any good no i think you should just put a bunch of like period correct hellas or cbs something cheap but looks correct all along the top of the roof rack we'll see i don't know what i'm gonna do i still have the mounts for doing the horn grill ones bolted underneath the horn grills right and i still have the horn grills that i cut to get you know, get the where I could have the headlights. Yep. I also have all the wiring is still there. Oh, so really? I, so I basically had it wired up where um, they would when I turned my high beams on, they would come on. I was going to ask you with those early 911s, was there a separate switch for those? Uh, no. Well, you could wire up a separate switch, but none of that was factory. You didn't get so none of those were factory options. No, you'd, I've never seen that as a factory thing. I could be wrong, but I've never seen that as a factory deal. That's what I was curious about. Yeah. So all the all, I still have all the wiring and everything to put it back if I want to do it again. Mm -hmm. But I think it was so I had a hundred watt bulb in each one of the driving lights. Right. 
And then I had 150 watt high beam in each of the headlights. <laughs> so it was like 500 watts of lights. It was incredible. The, the vision was absolutely incredible. But it's just, I didn't really like the look. No. You know, I like it when they're mounted to the hood. They do look really cool. But I also don't want to drill holes in my hood. Get an extra hood. Dude, I still I can't even afford fenders that I need for my car. You're out of control, man. Oh, uh, well, there's your story of Marshall headlights as well as a little uh, sidebar on the French space flight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, take care. Thank you. We'll see you around next month. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,